The Multiverse Podcast presents The Empty Earth, Chapter 4. Written by Matt Demersky, produced by Eunice Randall, and narrated by Nathan Wheatley. My fingers, ice. My hand, clenched and numb. My arm, burning. A torrential force continually assaults every sense and nerve. Am I gripping a branch or razor's breadth from the edge of a massive waterfall? It threatens to tear me down and destroy me at every surge. Between constant bouts of near suffocation, I writhe, fight, and struggle to catch a single breath. The roar drowns out all sensible sensations, leaving nothing but random violent swells smashing against my face over and over and over. Each lungful of air, at the end of all endurance and hope, I manage to find a single free gasp. I stumble forward, suddenly free, for a split second, a moment, a heartbeat. A phone? A phone! My good old subconscious is still on my side. I was already heading for it. It knew, somehow. I grasped it, but hesitated. What did I have? What senses? What mental objects? Sight. A phone, blank white. Smudged fingers. Were those my hands? Memories were beyond reach. A fog, a storm. What could I do to reach him? Nothing. I couldn't do anything at all. But he could reach me. I took a deep breath. Real air this time, and useless against that far more horrible kind of suffocation. And lifted the phone immediately to my ear. Time would be short. I felt imminently pursued. That, in itself, was another mental object. I filed it with the few others in my possession. The only defense we have against nightmare is the power of self-sacrifice. I forced out, choking on thickness in my throat, my voice unused for some unknown time. The crushing fist. Glorwalk. The click came even as I spoke. He'd heard my random keywords. So filled with concern and desperation, his voice shot adrenaline through me. Christ, where are you? Heath! I gasped out. I looked. God, I'm sorry. I need your location, maybe I can... I shook my head. I'm broken. Stop repeating yourself, he responded. I wavered in place. Am I repeating myself? Tell me something, anything. Come on, brain. I kept the phone pressed against my pounding head, my strobing sight blinking erratically around the room as I felt the impending drumbeats quicken. What did I have? My split second was ending, and the waters were roaring back across my face as I sank once more. White, uh, white walls. I lifted my free hand. Smudges on my fingers. That was it for my sight. I put my crumbling focus on my hearing. Pounding footsteps heading my way. On to touch. Warmth leaking from my nose, cold bubbling at my feet, and, for smell, the tang of metal. The clicking together of a few separate mental objects, the fact that I was bleeding from my nose, spurred a swirl of other memories. I got them killed, Heath. Jay, Roger, just normal guys with jobs and lives. Just hold on, he told me, compassionate and firm. We're going to find you. I needed connecting pieces. I needed to build structure. When is this? His response sounded almost guilty, like he knew he was disappointing me. Yesterday, or the day before. Less than a week, for sure. A heavy bitterness fell across me. I'm not really talking to you, am I? No, but you did, recently. These bits and pieces didn't come from nowhere. He added one last message as I began falling back into the flood. Don't tell them anything. I wanted to promise that I wouldn't, but I had no idea what he meant. Instead, I clenched my hand harder about the sole unmoving solid point in my existence. I didn't know what it was that I held onto, 
only that I must, for as long as I could. The crushing torrent took me once more, and I awoke in three places at once. As I descended from the crest of a rough high hill, I regarded the path ahead with hard eyes. Ongoing patter dripped slowly around me. Not rain, but a long-awaited melting above, below, and all around. Endemic white trails still clung to every bowl and shadow, awaiting higher angles from the sun. A phone conversation. Several incomprehensible facts and feelings. Had I acquired this fever dream from my month of activities in the Appalachian Mountains? Or had it been real? No. This was real. This had all happened, just not necessarily in the order I was experiencing. And so, the true enemy had been revealed. I reached a rocky escarpment and looked out at the vast, verdant landscape before me. I could feel it in me, all around me. My heart beat with expectant sharpness, and every breath brought fierce energy. This, I could handle. This, I knew how to fight. Despite the limitless danger I was in, I had to grin. I'd been railing against demons of this particular kind my entire life. I lived this enemy. Somewhere out there, in a not-too-distant city, two other versions of me ran free, following the paths that had been laid out for them by time and memory. They were living what I had recently lived. I couldn't change what had happened, but I could warn them. Stop them. Save them from the greatest mistake of our life. Were my intentions foolish? Maybe. But that probably went with the territory. I clenched my fists with excitement and began running down into the world. This was my chance. I'd looked. I was insane. I was insane and suffocating in a tumultuous river of madness that would inevitably drown me. But I finally understood. I jumped up, full of adrenaline, and scanned the dark basement. Eerie flickering emerald light danced in through small ground-level windows, illuminating the dusty space with spectral patterns. I saw no threat. Immediately I checked my backpack. But nothing, human or otherwise, had disturbed the precious contents within. A wave of pulsing pain in my forehead briefly brought me low. My whole body ached with exhaustion and bruises. I could still feel every sensation of hitting a roof and then arcing to the ground alongside a fallen gutter. Yesterday's terrible mishap. I said a momentary prayer for never having to endure that again. Fighting through the pain, I sat up, ready to fight in whatever way needed. Pulling out of the fog of sleep, I'd suddenly remembered the chaos of the previous night. Climbing up against the wall, I peered out the small high window. A curtain of chill touched my face as the light from the burning houses reached me. The emerald flames pulsed cold rather than heat, and they towered toward the sky, ever-burning, unconsuming. Half the suburb here was on fire, cold fire, and, yet, the houses weren't being charred or destroyed. Instead, continual layers of ice seemed to be building upon them. I could guess at the dangers of icy flames that never went out. Something like that could be a threat to an entire city. Or worse. They hadn't spread far during the night, though, despite the incredible rains that had provided fuel for their ice. Floating balls of orange flame, far more natural yet frighteningly autonomous, circled the outer edge, tapping it with darting fingers of fire. Were they containing it? Even slowly extinguishing the cold fire. More sentient flames patrolled the streets. Something massive moved somewhere distant, caught only in glimpses between the houses. A massive hulking thing that seemed to be struggling against a swarm of weird black spheres. Far closer, my heart skipped a beat as I saw thin silver filaments lying on lawns, sidewalks, and the street. They glittered in the spectral emerald, shining all the way up toward... Christ! Beyond the dangers, as I got low and close to the window to peer up, I saw the sky rippling with a vivid patchwork of disparate colors. Effulgent red conflicted with pockmarked yellow, both struggling against a spectral blue. As I watched, other patchwork hues stormed past. Each sky was inherently different in cloud composition and angle of light. All seemed to be in stormy chaos. Reality had come apart while I'd slept.
But I'd gone into the forest and into the mountains to help stop this. Feeling strangely sick, I hunched over my backpack. Nobody had interfered with it. How had this happened? I couldn't seem to recall the exact details of what had gone on in the mountains, now that I was actively trying to remember. Find out where everyone went. Right, that was what I had to do. Burning with determination, I grabbed my things, slung on my backpack, and crept toward the stairs to the first floor. I miraculously managed to step up each ancient step without making a sound. Slowly turning the handle, I tried not to breathe too loudly. I had absolutely no way of knowing what was out there. The sentient ball of flame sort of matched the height of a man. It hovered near the fridge, lightly touching pictures on the fridge. Or, actually, the magnets that held them there. And it turned in surprise as it saw me. Or at least, the motion it made reminded me of a surprise turn. I bolted for the front door, and burst out into blasting hail and snow coming down from the towering ice flames. The cold was as bad as a physical punch to the face, but I forced myself through because, as I darted a glance behind me, the flames were following. Two came out from beyond the corner of a house ahead. I veered sharply on the frozen street and fell roughly on my hands and knees, sliding forward at an alarming pace. Looking left and right quickly, I sighted six sentient flames closing in from different directions. How far could they reach? What did they want? I had to assume they were hostile from the systematic manner in which they were surrounding me and cutting off routes of escape. I felt its presence nearby without the need to look. Instead, I calmly reached over with one hand and down with the other. The silver noose flicked along my hand, up my arm, and straight to my neck, even as I gripped it to brace against the coming jerk. It still shot jagged red through my awareness, but I didn't die instantly. Instead, I brought the wooden knife I'd prepared around and slashed the cord just as I shot up at an angle into a pine tree. I knew what was coming. I'd endured it once before. That didn't make the gut-wrenching fall any easier. Smashing down through a tree, I struggled to catch a major branch before I fell too far. The knife had gone, but I was glad for both hands, and the relative softness of evergreen branches. Tumbling and sliding down at a breakneck pace, I hit the ground with both feet and a groan, twenty feet outside the circle of flames. Get up. I am. I'm not going to sit here and die. Crawling forward for a moment, I managed to get to my feet, and then bolted away along ground that was increasingly free of ice. The further I got from the towering green flames, the warmer the air grew, and the more energy I found coursing in through my lungs. Four blocks away, and satisfied that the flames had ceased to follow, I finally slowed. There didn't seem to be a single part of me left that didn't hurt. I'd been smashed against a roof, thrown to the ground, slapped along a pine tree, and I'd been sleeping poorly, eating almost nothing, and running about an empty world for days. Get up! I nodded. Clambering back up with a gasp, I pushed forward. I'd seen the base of operations of the men who still maintained the city. It had been a high school before, but now the fences and complex brick buildings served as adequate defenses against the elements and wandering threats. Watching from afar, I studied the place under the chaotic sky. It wasn't being guarded like a military organization might have guarded such a place, but there were still a few men keeping watch on the fences. I could see how uneasy they were with their new sky and randomly terrifying neighbors. The only saving grace of their position, like mine had been in the basement of that house, was that none of these threats knew of or cared about their presence. I hadn't been watching for too long when I saw their leader, Jay, pacing the inside of the fence and talking on his cell phone. Moving closer, I began to hear some of his conversation. The advice you gave us? He shouted, angrily. I tied up the purple slice and the thing expanded and busted it right open. We almost got killed out there. Two guys didn't make it back. He paused as someone on the other end responded. Oh? We were supposed to tie ourselves up when the purple slices of sky come overhead? I must have misunderstood. I'm sorry. He nodded his head sadly as the other spoke. I don't know if we can do this, he finally said. It's gone insane here. He moved away, still talking, but out of hearing range. 
I sat in my hiding spot, jaw set. So, these people had been warned. Even instructed. I'd thought something of the kind when they'd handed out boxes of curiously chosen survival gear, but now I knew for certain. They'd expected this. But who could have warned them? Who was on the phone? Would... Would Heath be talking to them on the phone and ignoring me? The flames had been trying to contain the ice flames, as if they were actually trying to help out, or at least protect themselves, but they'd chased after me like I was a threat. Was I a threat? What was I doing here? I held my hand to my forehead and clenched my jaw against a random jab of pain. Find out where they went. Right, if I could just find out where they went, everything would work out. I'd fall into the embrace of humanity again, taken care of by... what? All my friends? I'd long ago pushed away everyone I cared about. I'd often told myself it was for their own protection. At some point, I think I just started enjoying being alone. It was easy. If things got too bad, I could just run. I was always dodging devastation by refusing to care about anything. Why did I even want to find out where everyone had gone? When was the last time I'd even talked to Chris or Caitlin? Why were the only two people I really cared about so distant in my memories? People I'd known growing up. People I'd had no choice but to include in my sense of self. What had Caitlin said to me the last time we'd talked? You only see people you can use. I swallowed a lump in my throat. Was she right? It had taken me this long to understand what she'd meant. And now, there was nobody left to see except those I could use. Running a mental hand over the hills and valleys of my mind, I began to understand that something was very wrong with my- Find out where they went. Right. I winced against the pain, stood up slowly, and began creeping toward an unguarded portion of the high school grounds. As I drew closer, I saw Roger standing by himself just behind a corner, a lit cigarette in his hand. Rolling awake, I looked around in confusion. Right. Home. In bed. I clambered up and moved to my computer. When was this? Which me was I? Okay, laptop's here. It hasn't been taken yet. Or was it duplicated? I wrote out an email, even if he wasn't responding. I'm losing my story structure here. My thoughts, my brain, my life, my grammar. I sat in place, reflecting on why I even wanted to find other aware people. Chris, Caitlin, all the people who might have ever been my friends. I'd left them all. I could handle anything on my own, right? Typing the words made the admission harder, somehow. I bit off more than I can handle alone. I could feel my grip tiring, the exhaustion burning in my arm. The waters of madness had reached a force seemingly beyond enduring. Let's retrace, I told myself. I saw the other me. Where? I saw him out there in the suburbs. I took my car back. I lost him. But then I found that trap in the bell tower, and by the time I'd reached home, he was gone. And he'd taken my laptop. Right. I swore. The laptop and the email I thought I'd typed were gone. What did I have? I brought my cell phone out to check on it. It hadn't been tampered with, but judging by the nightmares roving around outside in the shattered sky, the other me's cell phone had been a copy, and somebody had interacted with it. Had they noticed the sky rending apart moments after messing with it? I doubted they'd have made the connection. Now, who was with the aware survivors? Who had claimed to know me? Oh, wait. No, I, I didn't know that yet. That had been the other me. I was convinced I could work through insanity if I just linked enough chains of logic. Was that how madness trapped people? By giving them false hope? I shook my head. I had to assume there was a way through this. Slinging on my backpack, I went downstairs and out the front door. A few blank-eyed neighbors were around. One was mowing his lawn, one was washing his car, and one was walking his dog. 
Wagging his tail happily, the long-haired brown dog pulled his absent master toward me. I held out my hand, and he licked it in greeting. (laughs) You, I told him, laughing. You're real, and making the best of it, I see. He barked once and then moved on, sniffing his way down the sidewalk. It hadn't occurred to me to wonder where I really was, despite the experiences and memories blurring in my awareness. A light-hearted dog had wandered between the worlds with ease. I couldn't be somewhere entirely horrible, could I? Not if there was a dog here. Unless I'd imagined him, of course. I'd been totally convinced he was real, too, without any reason for such a conviction. Was I getting worse? Would I lose all self-analytical ability soon? And why should I fight for sanity anyway? What was I trying to accomplish with my life? I'd never once softened my grip on my own solitary and bitter behavior. Reality was full of nightmares in the shadows, and I'd sought out those shadows my entire life. I had a one-track mind, and I was my own self-fulfilling prophecy. This wasn't about the events that had happened. This was about me, my actions, and how I felt about what I'd done. I suddenly knew where I needed to be. Running along the sidewalk under that eerie, multicolored sky, I chose my destination with fury. I would never make it in time, and I hadn't made it in time. So... I fast-forwarded a bit. It was this house. One unassuming suburban house among all the others. I'd only known the first time by that strange sense of narrative importance. It had simply... popped out. I pushed through the unlocked back door and headed for the basement, even as I heard the screams ringing out. I wasn't too late this time. Heading down the stairs, I covered my mouth and forced down revulsion. The dirt-floored and cinder-block-lined room stank of vileness and blood. The other me... The first me stood over a brutally wounded older man who had been tied to a chair. Can you not see yourself? I asked, horrified and disgusted. The other me turned slowly, his eyes wide, his features surprised. It's you. You're the one that's been hunting me. I bawled my fists in rage. Can you not stand apart from your own emotions and see what you're doing objectively? Roger knows where they went, he responded, desperate. I have to know. I have to find out where they went. The older man spat blood. I will never tell you, you son of a bitch. You'll have to kill me. And he will, I stated flatly. Don't tell this bastard a thing. The other me dropped the fork he'd been holding. Wait, it didn't happen this way. This is not how things went. We're insane, I countered. How do you know? Because I feel guilty, he breathed, staring at his bloodied hands. And your mind is just like mine. You feel guilty too. But we didn't do it yet, I said, rushing over and untying Roger. Get out of here. You two are fucking crazy, he gasped, running up the stairs in pursuit of freedom. My doppelganger stared after him, stunned. He sees two of us. I nodded. I left you in a cave, years ago, to be eaten by some sort of spider creature. God, he breathed, blinking as he tried to piece together his fragmented reality. That was me? I thought... He lifted his gaze. Roll one of off-screen deaths. If you don't witness it yourself, they're always coming back. It was a basic rule of writing, and I was an author. I should have known. How did you survive? Where have you been all this time? Why are you here? I asked him. What's driving you to- My eyes brimmed as I regarded the blood on the floor in the chair. This? This isn't us. I think I'm you, he replied, leaning weakly against a wall. I mean, I am you, now, since we're remembering this later. But I'm missing so many memories. And there's a voice in my head, urging me on with such strength, I just can't resist it. The realization hit me with an almost tangible force. Something sent you. He realized it at the same time. Something used me, edited me, and sent me off into the world to find out where everyone went. What do you mean? I asked, moving toward the stairs to escape the gore. 
Everyone's still here, they're just passive and unaware, like a disease took their willpower. Is that what you see? He asked. Because I think we only see people we can use. I don't see anybody at all. I see an empty world, except for Roger and his colleagues. I frowned and moved while I thought. He followed me upstairs and then out onto the street, where we sat under the patchwork sky. I was just thinking about that, I told him, despondent. This world is painfully lonely, but this is how we remember it. This is, more or less, how our life was anyway. He nodded slowly, his gaze distant. Insanity's the worst. Yeah. I kicked the pavement idly. Even in the throes of madness, I was amazed at how detailed the street was. I could see every little swirl in black, shot through by cracks. Because that was how madness worked. You saw what you wanted to see, and believed it utterly. As deep as you wanted your examination of something to go, that was how deep you would see, like a fractal dream. So what now? He asked. I sat in silence for a time, until something occurred to me. Heath said not to tell them anything. Do you think it's not over? Do you think the same unknown force that sent you out with an agenda still has us? It wants to know where everyone went. He stood in shock. The smudge is on our fingers. I stood in shock, about to speak. He cut me off. That's the truth of all this now, isn't it? But keep it to yourself or they'll know. I laughed, marveling at our own breakthrough. In that case, I think I know how to get us out of this. We are going to find out where everyone went. That's the only way. We'll see this thing through to the end. We'll play it out the way it really happened, because we already know where everyone went. We just have to get to that point in the story. His cheek trembled. If we do that, Roger dies. Because he did die. Is that something you can live with? I didn't say anything. The stormy technicolor sky roiled overhead, rumbling ominously. I knew that what was about to happen would be very, very bad for the people I hadn't cared enough about. That my solitary and bitter choices had brought them untold pain. But their reality wasn't a malleable mess like mine. I could never make up for what had been taken from them. I didn't say anything, because I couldn't. All I could do was nod. To be continued. More of Matt's work can be found at mattdemersky.com. More of Nathan's work can be found at youtube.com slash pendragontheninja.